everyone. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to the SLES New Matter podcast. How are you? Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm really great today, and thank you so much for having me here. Of course. So I'm told that you work at a place called the Broad Institute in the middle of Boston. Tell me about what that's like. Uh, yeah, I am a computational biologist at the Broad Institute, and I basically use machine learning to extract information from biological images. Okay. What is machine learning? I hear a lot about it on the news, and I just need you to explain it in 10 words or less. Yeah, so machine learning is uh, the science of making computers learn automatically uh, from example data. Uh, and uh, instead of you know computing or instead of programming the computer to do a sequence of steps um, you know pre-designed by someone, uh, we actually let the computer discover what are the steps required to process the data that we want. That's roughly the idea of machine learning. So the computer is literally learning to think um, on its own, given a pre-designed set of inputs, and you're not showing it, okay, you're going to have to analyze this feature or this depth or this color. It's going to figure out those on its own. Exactly. And for that, you're going to have to uh, you know, collect examples of, of the inputs and outputs that you want from the computer. Uh, imagine you want to recognize uh, digits in uh, handwritten documents. So uh, you're going to have to give the computer an uh, example of the images of digits and the number that each digit corresponds to. Uh, so those are called the uh, labeled datasets in which you collect examples of, oh, this number is actually an 8 and not a 9 or something like that, in which you disambiguate the uh, look of images with uh, clean and clearly defined labels. Right. And everybody who understands what Roman numerals look like knows that a nine doesn't have that bottom loop complete like the eight does. So you learn that when you're one or two years old, but the machine has to be taught that. And then for different contexts like shadowing or color, right? Exactly. Okay. So how does that teaching a machine numbers or basic shapes then correspond to doing this on a more complicated system like looking at cell images? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, biologists are like to study biological systems under the microscope. And, uh, you know, you can see a lot of patterns there. Uh, cell biology is basically observing what cells do. And um, the microscope is a really great tool to observe what they're doing. Uh, but when you, you know, you can do the analysis manually. Uh, if you're, you know, just analyzing a population of cells in your lab, uh, but when you scale up to uh, thousands of populations of cells, uh, doing it at a scale in which you want to know what's the impact of thousands of compounds in a drug discovery setting, uh, you really need help of someone for tasks as basic as, uh, can you count how many cells survived the compound that we applied? Um, you can do that manually, but it would be great if the computers can help you go and look at the images and tell you back the number of cells that survived was 122, for instance. So um, in that sense, we are very interested in having machine learning models or computer models that can look at the images, recognize the patterns that biologists are interested about, and then extract those patterns automatically so we can make conclusions about certain treatments or certain cell biology problems. Excellent. Treatments uh, and conclusions about those make sense to me. And just to 
put a finer point on it, I know you said that we need the computers to help us. Uh, give us an idea about the scale. We're not talking about 10 or 50 or 100 images. How many images are we talking about on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, the, the scale can be huge. Um, we can, you know, in, in a single uh, study, we can collect, you know, millions of images. And biomedical images or microscopy images, more specifically, uh, can be very complex compared to internet images. You know, in, in internet images, we usually have like um, RGB or colored pictures of natural objects. Uh, but in microscopy, uh, we may have uh, images that have a lot of diversity in the shapes of cells. And they may have not just three basic colors, but they may have like uh, four or five or even 10 colors sometimes. Um, good, good Lord. So it's counting not only number of cells and which survive the treatment, but also times 10 colors, times millions of images. And this is all just in one study. And I'm assuming that the Broad does more than one study. Exactly. Uh, and each study also considers multiple treatments. If you are doing a chemical study, for instance, uh, to know what compounds work and which ones don't, uh, you may scan like uh, 30,000 compounds, for instance. We have a publicly available data set of 30,000 compounds screened and imaged in high-resolution images. And you may also be interested in getting to know what each of the genes in the genome does. Uh, we know that we have 20,000 genes, so you may imagine like a full uh, or a gen genome uh, study scanning the 20,000 genes and potential mutations, so you also can multiply for the mutations that the genes may have. And that's ridiculous numbers that we unfortunately <laughs> have not been able to scan yet. But that's the scale of biology. That's the scale of cellular biology. So when we sum everything up, we're talking about billions, potentially trillions of different feature vectors and things to count and, and pieces of study data to be aware of. So tell me about how you constructed this machine learning model. And I know in the last time we spoke, you related something about the data bowl where you actually helped humans um, construct this machine learning model. Can you maybe tell me about how that helped you to build better devices? Yeah, so uh, turns out uh, microscopy images can have a lot of diversity uh, and uh, they also are very flexible. You know, if you work in one biological lab, you may want to uh, tweak your imaging technique to highlight specific aspects of your study. And if you are in another uh, biological lab, you may tweak the uh, imaging technique in a different way. So uh, there are uh, discrepancies in the way biological images are acquired. So that's one of the challenges. Um, in the past, cell identification algorithms, which uh, work similarly to you know, phase detectors in which uh, you expect the algorithm to find the cells in the image, um, those algorithms were not possible to, uh, you know, were, were, it, it was not possible to use them uh, from one experiment to another. And the reason was that discrepancy in the imaging techniques. Uh, if you create an algorithm for certain types of images, uh, another microscopy image may have different variations and uh, the algorithm may not be able to recognize 
those variations because, you know, it was not trained for that type of experiment. So, I see. We're back to the numbers example again. If you trained entirely on blue numbers, it's very hard to now teach the computer to look at red numbers. Exactly. And, and those variations may happen in all sorts of microscopy settings. So what we were looking at uh, in this uh, challenge, we created the Data Science Ball last year in collaboration with Kaggle and NVIDIA uh, in order to invite the wider community of data scientists to uh, help us create uh, an algorithm that can recognize cells independently of the type of microscopy image that biologists may have. So we introduced uh, 30 different experiments in a collection of microscopy images displaying all sorts of diversity. You know, cell types, for instance, we, we may have different cell types in our studies. So uh, in this data set, we included multiple cell types. We also included different types of imaging techniques uh, with different colors, different resolutions, different magnifications, and so on. So you can find in this uh, large data set a lot of uh, microscopy variation that was not possible to capture before with you know, a traditional image uh, or cell identification algorithms. And what we asked the wider community of data scientists was uh, the question of, can you create a machine learning model that can recognize single cells in any of those images without human intervention? Mm -hmm. So it was important for us that the algorithm works completely autonomously because there are alternative, uh, you know, solutions in which you have to spend some time figuring out the parameters of the software in order to get the cells that you want. But in this case, um, and also, you know, in this time with the uh, new techniques that have been developed in machine learning and computer vision, uh, we can have algorithms that can do uh, autonomous decisions based on images. So that's why we created this challenge. And the response was uh, amazing. We had uh, more than uh, 3,000 teams around the world. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, you know, and most of those teams are composed of engineers, scientists, and uh, people with quantitative background that uh, were uh, up to the challenge in, in created uh, very creative solutions in which uh, machine learning models and more specifically neural network models uh, were able to look at the images and tell where the single cells are independently of the variation observed in the microscopy images. So Juan, this, is, this might be a little bit too detailed and, and I'll take any answers you can give me. But when I, as a human, look at a cell, I know it's a cell. I can see the sort of outline of the, the cell membrane. I can see a nucleus if it's a eukaryote or I can see the absence of one and a couple of trace organelles if it's not. Um, I know sort of how one is separated from the next. Um, what was it that the winning or close to winning algorithms did that allowed them to quickly differentiate cells from each other? Uh, yeah, so they use very similar solutions. Most of the participants in this uh, challenge uh, used a technique from computer vision, which is called uh, deep learning, or uh, in other words, using neural network models or artificial neural network models uh, that simulate uh, several layers of neurons in order to analyze and make sense of the uh, images. Um, and uh, I think the a key aspect of this uh, competition uh, was sort of the innovations that they introduced to uh, train the networks, train the neural networks to recognize 
cells independently of the image variation. Probably the most challenging aspect of this competition was not so much that the shapes of the cells are difficult to recognize because, as you're saying, uh, we can see them uh, relatively clearly and machine learning models can see the boundaries very clearly as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you make variations in the images, the human eye is very robust to those variations. Like if it's uh, brighter or dimmer, we still see the boundary. But the computer has a hard time with those uh, variations and uh, it may completely miss where the cells are or may think that a couple of cells that are touching each other are just a single cell. Uh, In other words, with those variations, the machine can have a lot of errors that humans don't do. So uh, the innovation of the participants in the top uh, positions of the challenge was creative ways of training the neural network to be robust to those variations, like making um, automatic uh, variations of color. Like uh, It's like trying to fool the network. Like what happens if I change the color for blue? Uh, sorry, the red color for blue or uh, or the blue for green or so on and so forth. And um, they train the network to, you know, be prepared for the war because the sure. uh, coming images in the test set were very challenging. So it's risk preparation and mitigation. They gave the computer as many different situations as they thought it might ever see so that they could be very robust when they came time to see real images. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Um, I really appreciate you explaining that to us. It sounds really cool. And Uh, What did it allow you to do? What did the results of the competition allow you to do that you could not have done before? So uh, I guess the the most important aspect is that now that we have a model that is robust to imaging variations, we don't have to worry about preparing preparing the images or preparing the image analysis workflows for future studies. Having a single computer program that can recognize the cells as accurately as humans do is like having a partner, you know, in your biological studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can basically ask them uh, how many cells survived the experiment, for instance, uh, without having to go and guide the software to do this or that. Uh, it's going to be completely autonomous. Uh, and that's what's more exciting about this type of project. And uh, in the past, uh, people had to configure the software for every single uh, experiment. And that requires expertise. Like biologists are very good at designing the imaging techniques and uh, you know, growing the cells and so on and so forth. But when it comes to analyzing the images, we need someone that knows about data science or uh, image analysis algorithms and so on in order to get the cells right. Not every biological lab has that expertise um, in place. So uh, instead of uh, hiring someone to do that job for you, or instead of spending the time learning how to use the type of software that is useful for the image analysis, you can just download a tool and that tool is going to know how cells look like in your images. And we really expect those types of algorithms to be um, as accurate as face detectors, you know? We mm-hmm. use face detectors in our phones. We use face detectors in social networks and they basically work without us having to configure any parameter or giving any instruction to the software. It just knows where the faces are. And we want to have 
a similar tool for biologists where um, the software basically knows where the cells are so they can basically ask just uh, direct questions like how many cells there are and what types of cells we can find and so on. Exactly. And now you have an automatic research partner that can work 24 hours a day, 365, round the clock without food or water, and that does almost as good as a human. Exactly. Or better. All right. So Juan, if I may, I'd like to also ask you, because I know our community likes to hear the stories behind how people get to these amazing advances. Um, how did you come to choose a career in methods and algorithmic development for um, image analysis? Yeah, so um, I am a computer scientist by training. And um, as a master's student, I worked with pathologists to help them to process their images. Um, so I was, you know, the guy that I knew how the algorithms work so I could set the parameters up and help them uh, get the job uh, done. And I really enjoyed the discussions about how technology can be used to improve access to healthcare services or how computers can assist doctors to deliver higher quality treatments. So I also realized that analyzing images is hard and I decided to uh, go on and do a PhD in computer vision and machine learning, which was very interesting, uh, you know, to learn how the fundamental blocks of image analysis um, algorithms are basically designed. Um, extracting information from images is so natural for humans, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult for uh, computer programs to do the same. And that's basically the science beho- behind computer science. Uh, in my research career, I worked as an intern at Google in California and also Microsoft Research in Redmond, Washington. And I learned quite a bit about uh, how machine learning can be used to you know, extract the most out of the images. And uh, at some point, when I finished my PhD, uh, I was looking for opportunities to you know, work as a research scientist. And I thought, uh, this is also a good time to explore the latest technologies that computer vision and uh, machine learning have developed in the context of biomedical images again. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity to join Ann Carpenter's lab at the Broad Institute. And we have been working on uh, cellular image analysis, which is really exciting uh, to be able to you know, assist biologists in extracting uh, information from images. Images are a rich source of information, so it's not just counting cells. We can do much more, and that has been uh, my research work during the last few years. Of course, I hear you. It, it's great and all that we can teach a computer to recognize a face or a license plate or cats from dogs but that's not as helpful perhaps for the wider human population as developing new drugs. Exactly. All right. Um, And tell us if you had a couple of pieces of advice for a young generation scientist, somebody who would be in high school or middle school now and who might want a career like yours, what would you tell them? How would you either help them along with things you've done well or what traps would you tell them to avoid? Uh, uh, Yeah, I think uh, it's very important to be open to new technologies, you know, and uh, be persistent with uh, whatever you think it's like the uh, fundamental uh, piece of uh, information that uh, can make a difference in certain experiments. I think so many times uh, there are like good ideas that people have and they may sound too crazy or too difficult, uh, but there is so much that we can do with current technologies that is worth taking the risk and try something new. Mm -hmm. And so I I really encourage people and young scientists especially uh, to be persistent. So uh, try again. You may be, you know, failing a few times, uh, but that's okay. You're going to learn you're going to learn in each step 
And, and that's going to give you more information about what works and what doesn't. And at the end of the day, the larger vision of having something that works better is uh, what, uh, what I think most scientists appreciate at, at the end of the career. So, so, uh, so be gritty, take some risks, because it seems like, although people don't always talk about these, for every really great success you see on a scientist or an industrialist's resume, there's three or four failures that you don't ever see. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a matter of uh, being uh, uh, able to take risks and uh, be comfortable with failure and be persistent. And I think that's like a recipe for success. Thank you. And and one last thing um, for people who might not be very familiar with SLAS. Um, what other scientists or groups do you think um, we should be interviewing on this podcast or that we should be talking to in terms of either this field or the expanded field? Is there one or two people you'd like to hear from? Like a specific names? You don't have to say names. You can also say um, institutions, companies, etc. Is there someone you think we should be profiling to explore either scientific careers or advancements? Yeah, well, I think, you know, in the context of SLAS, uh, the you know I like the aspect of automation and uh, automation makes me think of uh, robotics and autonomous agents that can handle for instance samples in the context of biology and uh, I think uh, robotics is going to be something very interesting um, for the future of biological research uh, you can now couple uh, powerful computer vision systems with robots that make autonomous decisions and do something to make decisions based on microscopic observations or something like that. So that would be helpful for uh, personalized medicine and so many other things. So uh, probably reaching out to people that work in uh, robotics and uh, image analysis may be uh, very interesting. Unfortunately, I don't have like names or companies. Well, that's all right. No worries. uh, Yeah, that's, that's what I think. Excellent. Juan, uh, thank you very much. Anything else you want to say to the wider SLAS community before we wrap up? Not really. Uh, thank you so <laughs> much for having me. <laughs> thank of you course. so much for having me here. Uh, it's been uh, really interesting connecting to uh, people in the SLAS community. It's uh, very nice to learn from others that are also thinking about you know, automating biological processes. And uh, that's very exciting. So thank you so much for, for having me today. Of course, we're very happy to have you and thank you for making the time. Again, that's Juan Caicedo of the Broad Institute. Thank you. Thank you.